Amen, amen. What a beautiful song sung by our faithful choir. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us this morning. What a beautiful morning of worship it's already been. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and why don't you open your Bibles? Getting ahead of myself. Open your Bibles up to John chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 31 through 59. 31 through 59. That's page 1232, 1232 in the Pew Bible in front of you. As you're opening up there, I want to just say really quickly, ask you to pray uh, for me. Next weekend, I will be in Camden, Alabama, down in South Alabama. I'm preaching uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at First Baptist Church of Camden. I'm preaching for their Disciple Now weekends. I'll be preaching to youth on Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday morning, I'll be preaching to everybody uh, during the, the main service there at First Baptist Church. So pray for me. I've got conference time that you so graciously give me each year and this is one of the things that I'm, I'm doing this year for a good friend from seminary and a, another guy preached at D-Now last year and uh, getting to do it again this year and, and, then, and then preach in church as well. So pray for me, me and Whitney and, and the kids will be down in Camden over the weekend. And uh, it's a booming metropolis, Camden, Alabama, if you've never been. Jared Lowe can tell you, he's from down there in South Alabama, he can tell you. And uh, it is, uh, but it is a fun place and a beautiful place, and we're looking forward to spending some time with youth and others, and get an opportunity to minister to some other folks. In my absence, the one and only Chris Taunton will be preaching. Now, listen, I want everybody to come and uh, be here so that he's not nervous. The more people are here, the less nervous our student ministry director Chris will be. But we're excited about hearing him preach. I'm looking forward. What I'm really excited about is the review of the sermon. Afterward, He and I are going to sit down and go over it. We're going to have a good time, right, Chris? That's right. <laughs> we love Chris. We're so thankful for him. He's doing such a good job. I don't know if y'all know this. He's doing a tremendous job with our youth and uh, knocking it out of the park. He drives here. Anytime you see Chris and Gadsden, he's driven here from Birmingham. And so he, uh, he works a part-time job and goes to seminary and works here. And so God is, has been so good to us to give us a hard-working good and godly student ministry director here in Chris, and I know, I know he's going to knock it out of the park next Sunday. I can't wait, can't wait to hear it. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reading, out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, that's important, many had believed in him, and he says to the ones who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who, got, who has told you the truth that I heard from God. 
This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, verse 44, of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray together. O Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to be changed by it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I recently saw a skit from a TV show called Portlandia. And in it, there's a woman sitting there in her Portland apartment, and she's putting together a jigsaw puzzle. She's having a quiet night at home. I think she's listening to some Indigo Girls or something like that on the radio. And as she sits there, all of a sudden, from the other room, from the other apartment, she begins to hear heavy metal music. I mean, really dark, heavy metal, loud music, much like many of you listen to. And so as uh, she's sitting there, uh, the music begins uh, pounding hard and it's throwing her puzzle off. She can't concentrate. And she goes over next door and hesitantly knocks on her neighbor's door. He comes out all in a tizzy, really stressed out. And she looks at him and says, excuse me, would you mind turning your music down? It's really interfering with my night. I'm trying to relax and do a puzzle, and I can't concentrate because your music's so loud. And he looks at her, and he says, Sorry, but I'm just living my truth. You do you. And closes the door. And so the skit goes on, and eventually the cops come to the guy's house, and they discover that he's killed somebody in his apartment. 
And when the cops get there, he tells them, he says, listen, guys, I know you're trying to arrest me here, but I want you to know I'm just living my truth. And the cop says, wow, you can go free. We would hate to interfere with anyone who's living their truth. You do you. Now, what Portlandia is trying to do is sort of excoriate, sort of make fun of the sort of cultural idea of I'm just living my truth. And, and, and we've recognized that for years. People say this and they say, I'm just living my truth. And they can use it to justify almost anything they do. Portlandia is pointing out that it's okay for you to live your truth. But what happens when your truth interferes with my truth? In fact, that's one of the things that the neighbor says at one point or another. She says, hey, excuse me, what about me living my truth? I'm living next door to a murderer. Can somebody do something about this? And the cop looks at her and says, you do you. You see, what we try to say as a culture and a society about what truth is and living our truth and us doing us, us kind of having a radical individualism, it makes sense when we are simply individuals who don't overlap with anyone else. But if any of you have driven on Rainbow Drive this week, you know we are not merely individuals who never overlap with one another. My behavior affects yours, and your behavior affects mine. Jesus begins to speak to those who have followed him. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus, being the church growth guru that he was, decides these people have started believing in him. By the end of this chapter, I'm going to make them want to kill me. And so as he begins to talk to him, listen to what he says, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? These people could not handle the truth. But Jesus says the truth will set you free. Not just some general truth, not just a vague notion of the truth, not living your own truth, not a personal truth, but the living embodiment of the truth himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is who they must abide in. That is who they must know. If they want the truth to set them free, they must know Jesus. Today we turn our attention to radical truth. Radical truth. I, I love expository preaching because what better verse is there to preach on Father's Day than you are of your father the devil. It's perfect. Uh, the, it captures the sentiment of the holiday perfectly. But here we are nonetheless. Jesus is confronting them with radical truth. I, I want you to be confronted with three truths today. Three confrontations with radical truth. Here's the first. An unknown slavery. An unknown slavery. There are a lot of verses that we've covered here. I want to encourage you later to go back and read over these and look, study this passage a little more intensely. But what I'm going to try to do is give you the basic flow of it so you can go back and put some things together. So we won't be looking at every verse today, but, but just some highlights. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin... Is a slave. Now, they, these folks were offended. These Jews who believed in Jesus were offended. What did they say? We are children of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, you guys have read the Bible, right? I read the Bible before. Has Israel ever been enslaved to anyone? Okay, good. Yeah, it's kind of 
the storyline, right? I mean, it's kind of a big part of it. In fact, if they're still at the Feast of Booths, which I think they are, they're actually celebrating at this very moment being delivered out of what? Slavery in Egypt. Over and over and over again, the ethics of the Old Testament are rooted in teaching Israel to act and to treat others they want to be treated. Why? Because they were sojourners. Because they were slaves. In fact, they've been political slaves multiple times, and, and these Jews obviously would have known that. So they must be talking about a sort of spiritual freedom. They must be seeing this as a way. We, we are sons of God. In fact, there was a rabbi who was popular at the time who, who said something to the effect of, every Israelite is the son of a king. Why? Because they were sons of the patriarchs. And so we recognize then that, that Jesus is making it plain to them that they are not free, that they need to be set free. And yet they take offense at this idea Verses 34 and 35, though, Jesus makes it plain to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Everyone, the Bible says, who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, everyone around us, our, our culture and society, and some of these ideas have even seeped into Christ's church, thinks that they're living their truth. What does that mean? Let's unpack that very idea of, of living our truth. Another way to phrase that is, what's true for you is true for me, and what's, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. You know, we, we don't want people getting in our business. You do you, and I'll do me. You see, we, we, we believe in America today in a sort of radical autonomy, a, a life that's lived without fetters, a, a life that's tot totally independent from our brain to our heart to our pelvis, all the way down, we think everything is independent, that we have the right to act and do as we please. We believe in freedom. In fact, if you talk to almost anyone about something they're doing wrong, beginning in about kindergarten, what's their response going to be? We live in a free country. We live in a free country. I can do what I want. I'm still waiting on that one to get trotted out in my home by one of my kids. I can't wait. I've got all kinds of good responses ready. You see, the great illusion of sin is that it's true freedom. The great illusion is that we ought to be free to just do whatever we want. And that's where true freedom is. But listen to what Romans 6.16 says. Paul, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, backs up what Jesus says here. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You see, we live in a society that thinks that true freedom is doing whatever we want. But in reality, brothers and sisters, that is slavery. That is slavery. I want to ask you this question today. Do you, are you as free as you think you are? Are you as free as you think you are? Let, let me ask you this. Whatever that pet sin is, that pet sin that you enjoy so much, does it make you feel as good as you like to pretend that it does? Do you, do you not see the way that even the good things that God has given us in this life can be bondage? We try to do them apart from His will and His love. You, know, you think about all kinds of good things that God has given us. 
Think about sex, for an example. So many folks in our culture and society are obsessed with a sort of sexual freedom. It began in the 60s with the sexual revolution, and we continue to see the outworkings of the sexual revolution to this day. And, and there was a promise made to those who bought into this mindset that there was going to be a sort of freedom that they'd never had before, that, that religion and society were really, really holding them down and holding them back. But brothers and sisters, now we're seeing the way that in so many hearts and lives, the sexual revolution, this supposed freedom, has wrought countless problems for people who did not expect the bill of goods that they actually received versus the one they were sold. You see, we must recognize as Christians, we must recognize as people who love those around us, that sin is not as freeing as we think it is. Each and every one of you here this morning, myself included, every single one of us will be faced today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, our entire lives with an illusion, a lie from the mouth of the devil himself that says that God doesn't want you to have the best things. It's exactly what the devil did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He convinced them that God simply didn't want them to have, didn't want them to have good things. He, he presented to them a sort of freedom. If you would eat of this tree, then you would know you will be like God. And yet, what happened after the fall? Was it freedom? No. It was bondage. It was bondage to sin. It was a bondage to death. It was slavery. Is your will not bound in ways that you cannot see? Is your freedom not an illusion, a lie? But listen to what Jesus offers. So if the Son sets you free, verse 36, you will be free indeed. You are participating right now through sin, if you don't know Jesus, in an unknown slavery. A slavery you can't see. A slavery that creates the illusion of Freedom. You're like those people in the matrix who think they're living a normal life, but in reality, it's just being piped into them. And, the, and, and, and in reality, they're actually being held as slaves. You're, you're like those who think that they can do whatever they want, but really can't. The devil loves double speed. He loves to point us to places that seem like freedom, but aren't. Why not trust Jesus? For if you trust the Son, you will be free Indeed, they are confronted then with the radical truth that they're slaves and don't know it. But they're also confronted with a more radical truth, an unknown father. That's our second point this morning, an unknown father. They're confronted with the truth that who they think is their father is not actually their father. And if you read the text at hand leading up to verses 43 and 44, you'll see this progression that happens. First, there were children of Abraham, and Jesus grants, obviously, you are physical descendants of Abraham. And then they go on to say that we're sons of God. We're, we're descendants of God. And Jesus confronts them with a very radical truth. It's not merely that Abraham is their father or that God is their father, but listen to what Jesus says in verses 43-44, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does Jesus do? He says, if you were the son of Abraham or the son of God, you would do what Abraham did, or you would do what God does, but instead, you're doing what the devil does. You're lying, and you're seeking to murder. You're lying, and you're living out a sort of hatred that's going to lead to murder. First of all, Jesus calls them liars. We, we see them exemplify this in verse 48. It's a little later, but I love this. Talk about, talk about a, a question that's begging for an answer. Listen to what what it, begging the, the answer here, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying, I love leading questions like this, don't you love it? Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, if you've been in ministry or ever tried to lead change anywhere, you've had a question asked like this to you. Which one do you hate, preacher? Us or Jesus? You know, you, know, you get those kinds of questions of a demon. Jesus doesn't even touch the Samaritan question because he's not going to give in to their racism, but he goes ahead and says, no, I don't have a demon. But you see, they're, they're, they're showing and developing, and John's going to fulfill this as time goes on, a pattern of lying, a pattern of being loose with the truth. Brothers and sisters, we as Christians must pattern after our Father, who is the Father of truth, and not after the devil, who is the Father of lies truthfulness matters you see lying is not just merely breaking a commandment but it's also antithetical to the gospel because it reveals that we're acting according to the image of satan and not the image of christ god made us to tell the truth but jesus also exposes not only that they want to lie like the devil lies but also that they want to murder like the devil murders verse 59 what do they do when they're confronted with this truth they start to pick up stones to do away with jesus they show that they'd rather sin than face the truth. I want to confront you this morning from the text, from Jesus, with a radical truth. Something that hurts to hear, but with something we all need to recognize. We're under the impression that all people are good people. So often that's kind of how we think and what we think in terms of. Well, everybody's doing pretty good. We're climbing the hill, doing an okay job, but buddy. If only Jesus could come along, we could really use some help to get over that hill. You see, that's not what Jesus says. You see, we're all a little more related to the devil than we'd like to admit. You see, in our natural state, we are more closely identified with Satan than we are with God. We are sinners. We are living out uh, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the world and the desires of of the devil. You see, to be a child of God, John makes this point over and over and over again. Our Lord makes this point over and over and over again. To be a child of God, you must be born again. You must be born again. We are not naturally children of God. We must be adopted into God's family. We are not naturally bent toward obedience. Now, that's something that'll preach on Father's Day, isn't it? We're not naturally bent toward obedience. Now, how many of you, just growing up, your whole life are just perfect? Who, who among you? Let's see. Let's find the liars right now. Okay. And how many of you dads in the room? We've got some dads in the room. How many of you dads in the room just were able to just naturally lead your, your kids, just were obedient at every turn with no help at all from you? Several of you, right? No, of course not. No, we, we recognize that. 
naturally, we look and recognize we're not naturally obedient creatures. My, my little son, Jim, our baby, he's two years old, and uh, he's obsessed with robots. He likes robots right now. And so he's constantly pretending to be a robot, different kinds of robots. But you'll note that when you see the list of the kind of robots he likes to be, none of them are robots that carry out tasks of obedience. We've yet to see a cleaning robot or a a loving robot, but we have seen a throwing robot and a blasting robot and, my favorite, a chomping robot. You try to get onto a chomping robot for chomping, guess what? What else does a chomping robot do but chomp? We're naturally bent toward disobedience. That's all of us, each and every one of us. To be a child of God, you must be born again. Jesus is telling them, you are of the world, you are of the devil, but I offer you grace and hope and love. If you would trust me, you can know the Father. You can be children of God. You can be children of Abraham in the likeness of Abraham, accepting God by faith. Don't the apostles go to such great lengths in the New Testament to show that Abraham was accepted not by virtue of his race or his lineage or his natural abilities, but what? By faith. By faith. He he trusted God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. We're not naturally children of God, but we can trust the Son so that we might call God Father. You see, they they were embracing, or not embracing, but encountering radical truths, an unknown slavery, an unknown father, but finally the real problem was this. They had an unknown Savior. An unknown Savior. I want to focus really on verses 56 through 59. Jesus exposes their idolatry of being Abraham's descendants. If you thought like Abraham, he says in verse 56, you'd be rejoicing too. Listen to what the Bible says. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews, the Bible says, verse 57, said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? In other words, that's just kind of a round number that, that they use. Presumably, I'm, I'm 32 years old right now. Presumably, that's about how old Jesus was in this moment. Presumably, that's about how old Jesus was in this moment. It starts to give me sometimes an idea of why so many people were offended by Jesus. It's sometimes hard as a young man to hold strong opinions. Now, I do a pretty good job of it, despite my age. But sometimes it can be difficult to present your opinions without naturally just seeming prideful. Why? Because you're young, and you have things to learn and ways to grow. I recognize that, and... My full intention is to continue to get older. That's my plan, and hopefully mature in the process. And yet here Jesus is, young, like I said, probably my age. As Larry Furman likes to remind me all the time, he's got hernias older than I am, he says. (laughs) And so you know there are guys here standing there looking at him, saying, you're saying you've seen Abraham and you're, you're not even 50. You've not even begun. You're still wet behind the ears. You're, you're still a whippersnapper. You're still a young man. Have you seen Abraham? They ask. And radical truth becomes more radical. Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego 
I me. I am. I am who I am. Those words again where Jesus is showing His divinity, demonstrating His oneness with the Father. People these days want to look at these statements and try to say that Jesus didn't really think He was one with God, that when He was saying these things, that He didn't really think those things. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The people who heard Him got it. They got it. They got exactly what he was saying. They'd read their Old Testaments. They knew what he was saying. I am. And when he says, I am, that means he is equating himself with Yahweh. The great I am. Echo I me, he says. How do I know they get it? Well, they begin to try to carry out the punishment for blasphemy. Stoning. They picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself went out of the temple. Do you get it? Do you get what you're being confronted with today? Do you understand the truth that has landed on you from the Bible today? Do you understand who it is that you've encountered? You have encountered today this man, Jesus Christ, who has told you you're a slave and don't know it. Who's told you you think like the devil and don't know it. He's also telling you, I am, and you don't know it. I am the cure. I am the one who will free you from your slavery. I am the one who will deliver you from that family. Here on Father's Day, some of you may be ashamed of your history. You may be ashamed of your background. There may be that one family member that you don't want people to know about. Jesus says, I can give you a new family. I can teach you to call God Abba like I call God Abba. Do you get it? Do you get what you're being confronted with? Do you get that you're being confronted with the answer to the ages? The great I am. God become flesh. Jesus of Nazareth who is the Christ. You are being confronted with the most radical truth in the history of mankind. That there is a God in heaven that you have sinned against him. That he loves you anyway. And that he came to earth to get you. The unknown Savior can be known. The unknown Savior can be known. Can you comprehend the glory of one who became flesh, who was one of us, and yet who is the great I Am? Can you ascertain the beauty of the man who was sinless? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know something this morning. Your pedigree, your flesh, your family, your denomination, your works can't save you. The best you can do, the best you can do is live your truth. But your truth's not enough, is it? Problem is, when we try to just live our truth, what we're doing is not only overlapping with those around us, but eventually we come to overlap with the God of the universe. And the reality is that our sin cannot be dealt with by us living our truth, by us being our authentic self. It is not sufficient for us to do the best we can do. We will not get to heaven and God will say, well, you did you, so that's enough. No, brothers and sisters. We must embrace Jesus. We must know the truth 
not our truth, but the truth. And the truth will set us free. For those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. Your pedigree, your flesh, your family, your denomination, your work, your works, your career, your family, your love, none of those things are sufficient to save you. Only Jesus can save you today, today, today. You can know by faith the unknown Savior. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I offer an invitation to you. Come, turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ and He is faithful to save you. He will save you this morning. Second of all, Second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I've not been living according to these truths like I should. Brothers and sisters, I would love, I would love to pray with you this morning. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. We're not a perfect church here at First Baptist Church, but we will love you and your family, and we will do our best to to help you grow in the Word, to disciple you. After this prayer, if you want to know more about joining First Baptist Church, I'd love for you to come forward. After this prayer... I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a joy and privilege it is to worship you with your people today. And God, for those in the room today who don't know the Savior, I pray that the unknown Savior would become known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.